You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund to give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plans starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much. You'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you want to relive the feels on Grey's Anatomy... Hulu is here for you. What are you waiting for? Let's go. Every episode of Grey's Anatomy is now streaming on Hulu. Seriously. Every. I'm your person. Every. Now we dance it out. Every. McDreamy. Every. McSteamy. Every Grey's ever. Now streaming on Hulu. And the new season streaming March 15th. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. He hired me as a punch-up writer for one day. I just kept coming back. This was pre-9-11 days, and I got to know the security guard at the gate at ABC. And he just saw me coming every day, so he'd let me in. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not trying to get that guy fired now, but I don't know if he's still there. But every day I kept coming in, and I'd just go in the writer's room and sit on the couch and just keep pitching jokes and pitching jokes until Don Rio, who was our showrunner, uh, he said, you know what? sit at the table. And that was the beginning. Hi, my name is Rodney Barnes. I'm an executive producer and writer on the hit show Winning Time on HBO. And I write a bunch of other cool stuff too. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Off the Beat. I'm so glad you're here. As always, This is your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, as you just heard, I'm going to be speaking with writer-producer Rodney Barnes. 
Now, who's Rodney Barnes, you might ask? Well, he is a man, a writer, who has mastered almost every genre. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. He's worked on everything from sitcoms, like Everybody Hates Chris, to satirical cartoons like The Boondocks, which, by the way, won him a Peabody, and sports dramas like the new hit HBO show that I just finished, Winning Time. Trust me, check that show out if you haven't. It is worth it, whether you're a sports fan or not. Oh, and when he's not doing all of that, he also writes graphic novels. So yeah, no big deal. Listen, if you're looking for some inspiration, for some real talk about showbiz, you have come to the right place today. I mean, Rodney, he literally left the writer's room for season two of Winning Time to come here and to talk to us. We're going to walk through his incredible career from being a production assistant on a first name basis with his childhood heroes to learning to tell the best story he can, no matter what room he is in. You know what? I'm going to let the man, I'm going to let the master speak for himself. So here he is, Rodney Barnes, everyone. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. What's up, Rodney? How are you, sir? I'm all right. How are you doing? Doing okay. Doing okay. Just okay today? Yeah, I mean, it's always work. There's a lot of stuff going on at the same time, but it's all good stuff. Oh, well, good. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. First off, I have to say congratulations on your huge smash hit, which I finished a couple of days ago now, Winning Time on HBO. Ah, thank you. I'm very excited to talk to you about that, but I, I wanted to start going back a little bit for our listeners and for me, like how you got to where you are now. You grew up in Maryland, right? Annapolis, Maryland. Annapolis, Maryland is where I grew up. You grew up, you were born and raised, you lived there for your youth? Yeah, I was uh, born at the U.S. Naval Academy. My father was in the military. Okay. Lived there, stayed there for 25 years, uh, went to college in the area. Sort of figured my, my life was just going to be regular Annapolitan, for lack of a better word. Every yeah. job that I had was in the area and never really considered being in California one day. And then um, when I went to Howard University, I started to work on movies and TV shows Pelican Brief, Clear and Present Danger, Quiz Show, Forrest Gump, anything that came to the area and I could get a gig on, I would be a production assistant or an assistant uh, director on. And then eventually I worked on a movie, Major Pain, with Damon Wayans. Yeah. And he took an interest in me and gave me an opportunity to work on his movies. And that sort of led me to LA. And I packed up my stuff, moved out, lived in my car for a while, that famous L.A. story of, um, you know, scratching and scraping and try to make your way, and I did that, and um, here we are. Here here we are. Before, I want to talk about the car, but when uh, you went to Howard, as you said, when did you start to sort of think, this is what I want to do? I want to be involved in entertainment, or I want to be a writer? Well... What happened was I went to, when I first went to college, a bunch of junior colleges and different colleges, it was to play sports. Okay. 
And probably a third of the way in, I realized I wasn't good enough to make a living at being an athlete. Okay. But I kept doing it anyway because I didn't have a plan B. There was nothing else really there, um, you know, for me to do. So I kept doing it because it was something to do. And then eventually um, hit a wall and said, you know, I'm going to run out of time. You know? And a friend suggested I go back to school for real. And I went back to Howard, focused on the film and television business. Still had no idea how it was going to work. I did not know what the bridge from the East Coast to Hollywood, you know, how that worked. Didn't understand the business at all. But slowly but surely, and I'd say being a production assistant was a huge part of it because I got an opportunity to see how it all sort of came together and slowly but surely make my way in it. Now, writing was another thing. It was more of I knew I wanted to write and I knew I wanted to be in the business, but I pretty much knew no one was going to hire me just being so green and just buy a script from me and I'd make a million dollars and everything was going to be great coming out of the box. So I looked at being a production assistant and working in production as a way to keep a roof over my head, you know, while I was figuring out the writing part too. So the first part sort of supported the second part. Right. You know, it's so interesting. I've talked to so many people and we've talked about the value of just on-set experience, just being around a set, seeing how things work. Whether you're working in exactly the area that you want to be, how valuable that just that experience is. Well, what I think a lot of people, I talk to a lot of writers, they don't want to go through that process. They want to do the <laughs> thing they want to do, which is understandable. But if you come from the conventional working world, which 99.9% .9 of us come from, it works its own way. But the entertainment business works another way. It's a way we talk. It's a way at the pace at which it moves, the expectations, the emotional, psychological development that you have in order to be able to deal with constant rejection. All of that stuff you typically don't get in the conventional world. If you work at a regular government job like you know my family did, there are boundaries that you work within. You, you know what they are. You get a um, reviewed every year. You get right. a raise or you don't get a raise. And it's very conventional. And in Hollywood, it's sort of like the circus. You know, every month, two months, three months, you could be moving on to the next place and you got to figure out how you're going to make it. In between, there's a lot of rejection or could be. I don't know anybody who hasn't, but I'm trying to be optimistic. <laughs> Certainly in my career, it's been a lot of rejection. And you have to emotionally be able to continue to get back up off the horse when things don't go the way that you want it to go. If you don't have that mental toughness, this is going to be a really hard ride for you. And so I think having those jobs gave me an opportunity to learn stuff, to get those muscles ready, living in my car, just a lot of things that I had to do to get to this place that I didn't realize at the time. I always use the analogy of um, when you're in the gym, you have the machines and you have free weights. And the machines do some of the work for you because they balance the weight that you're right. lifting and you're just doing the movement. But when you're doing free weights, you hit all those little muscles, the balance it that you're doing yourself, that you're utilizing to lifting the weight. That's sort of what I look at working in production is because there's so many little things that you're getting right. about how to interact with other people within the business and learning what to do and what not to do. You know, I've never had 
mentors in the conventional sense of the word that someone put their arm around me and said, son, come on, I'm going to show you how this business works. But I've been blessed to be in rooms with some really high level people and how they conducted themselves and how they dealt with stress and how they you know, were leaders. And just to be able to observe was the biggest thing. Yeah. If I had had success in my 20s or you know, even early 30s, I would have blown it. I know I would have blown it. Right. And having the opportunity to take a step back and just learn is invaluable. Yeah. You know, everything for me is not about the office, but I will talk about Greg Daniels, our showrunner, who talked about for him, which makes so much sense. Oftentimes, writers, particularly young writers, are writing in a void without really understanding how television or movies are constructed. Whereas when you when you're a PA and when you're on set, you know you can't write some things. I used to joke with him, I'm not Homer Simpson. There are things that a writer can write for Homer Simpson and and an animator can animate that my body is not going to do. That there's no way to shoot certain things. And so I think as a writer, having that, because oftentimes they're right, you're stuck in a writer's room, you're not really on set on a day-to-day basis. Being able to understand that is so important. The the greatest boot camp for me, um, my wife and kids, which was my first show, sitcom, was that I had the opportunity to, you're, after, you're a million percent right, that you believe when you're sort of in the comfort of your own mind and space without anybody evaluating the work that you can just write about anything. You can say right. anything, you can do anything, there are no boundaries. But when you start to learn how to write producible scripts within the budget that you're working with, within the constraints of a network, if you're a network on a network show or what have you, you realize when you're actually in production and making a thing, now you're really writing to something versus just your imagination and your desire to write. And I can say for me, the first 10 years of my career were really all about that thing that you, what you just mentioned. It was learning how to be a professional writer and learning how to be a professional, you know, mentally and emotionally in both situations. Like, like I said, I'm glad that I had to go through the process of being a staff writer twice story editor. I jumped up a couple of levels because I was on some shows for a while, but I needed that initial training in order to get from um, zero to one, or I doubt that I would have, you know, some of the good things that are happening to me later in my career wouldn't have happened if I didn't have that foundation to go back to. Yeah. Yeah. So you meet the Wayans. They're supportive of you. Yes. You decide to make the jump to Los Angeles And then, yes, as you've mentioned, you were living out of your car. Yes. Now, how? what did that do for you or to you in terms of, it would have been very easy to give up at that point. Yeah. I was fortunate about the whole living in my car thing. You know, certainly when you say it through the ears of today's listener, they go, oh my God, you lived in your car, you were homeless. It must have been the worst thing in the world. And it wasn't. For the two years that I was following Damon around the country, He wasn't putting me up in hotels. I was living in my car then too. Right. But there was something about being close to the thing that I wanted to do. I knew everything in my hometown. I knew what life would be if I went back there. I didn't know what it would be in Hollywood. And I've got this guy and he's giving me jobs and I'm on sets every day and I'm meeting the right people. I'm learning a lot. 
you know, it, it didn't feel like homelessness. It didn't right. feel painful because in my mind, okay, I would be in my car at night, but I would be on set like six, seven in the morning because that's what time the PAs, you know, come in. They come in right. first. I could eat and craft service all day. I probably actually gain weight because there's endless, there's an endless supply of food. <laughs> right. I got along with the transport guys, so they gave me gas. I could go in the honey wagons and take a shower. I started a garbage business with my truck where at the end of the night, they would give me a buck 50 a bag to get rid of the catering. The locations folks would like, here, get rid of this. And I'd make a 150, 200 bucks, which at that time was huge with my $125 a day salary. Right. You know, it wasn't bad. It was workable. It wasn't like I was a guy doing nothing. It was just, I didn't have enough to sustain myself in the way that I'm sustaining myself. Yeah. That you took it as this is just what life is. And I'm looking for this next yeah, opportunity. But I'm in LA. But I'm in LA. I'm working. I'm I'm doing it. Yeah, I, Blade was my first movie that I worked on in LA. I love comic books. I'm a comic book guy. So I'm on set every day. Wesley Snipes knows my name. He's in the Blade outfit. Steve Norrington is telling me stories about when he was a special effects guy and the tr- the chestburster and Alien. Like, I'm around some really cool people doing really cool stuff. I'm learning L.A. because every day we have a different location. You know, it was kind of cool. Yeah. After that, uh, you mentioned it already. You you work with the Wayans. Your first writing job, right, on My Wife and Kids? That was your first staff writing job on television? Yeah. Uh, Damon, uh, Damon and I, we weren't around each other for a hot second. And then I got an opportunity to uh, work on my wife and kids. He hired me as a punch-up writer for one day. I just kept coming back. This was pre-9-11 days. And I got to know the security guard at the gate at ABC. And he just saw me coming every day, so he'd let me in. (laughs) And, you know, I'm not trying to get that guy fired now, but I don't know if he's still there. But every day I kept coming in. And I'd just go in the writer's room and sit on the couch and just keep pitching jokes and pitching jokes until Don Rio, who was our showrunner, uh, he said, you know what? Sit at the table. And that was the beginning. And once I got at the table, it was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this thing. Now I'm sitting at a writer's table. I'm a writer. Right. And they hired me to be a staff writer the next season. And that sort of was the beginning. Yeah. Television, particularly that type of television, coming from films is, is different, right? I mean, the, the presentational style, did that present for you any challenges or were you just full on enthusiastic about just being a writer? Yeah, I was enthusiastic. I was terrified about being a writer. This is that stuff that I'm talking about, the emotional, psychological stuff. There was a lot of uh, imposter syndrome. There was a lot of, um, knowing what I didn't know. I thank God that Don was my first guy because he was patient with me. He saw whatever he saw and allowed me to grow. And so it was really a thing about a lot of times folks come to me and they say, you know, I just want to work for you so I can learn. I just want to learn. And I'm thinking this isn't college. You know, I don't say it out loud, but I'm thinking. But I did get an opportunity to learn, but I also contributed as well. There was this duality of walking with both realities that being in the writer's room with someone who had a huge amount of experience was invaluable. But I had to earn it every single day when I went in. I had to do what I could to answer your question. I didn't really have professional chops in the way that I I think I do today, but um, I gave what I had. Right. Right. 
You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much, you're going to be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't like a few extra bucks in their pocket? I certainly would. Money for a golf round, perhaps? Tickets to a concert or a game? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics. 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not in endorsement discover betmgm the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for non-stop action all winter long take the excitement of football basketball and hockey to the next level with same game parlays exclusive signature bets odds boost promos and much more plus now you can sign in place bets and manage your cash balance under the same betmgm account in dc maryland and virginia With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zinn create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zinn is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zinn is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zinn won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zin. Find your Zin online or in a store near you at zin.com slash find. That's zyn.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. What a 
attracted you from an early age to graphic novels? What, what was it about that or comic books that, that, that re- you really responded to? Well, I could tell you, my mother was a school teacher and um, she used to do her lesson plans at the public library. This is pre, they weren't computers. All she had was paper and pen during those days. Being a single parent, she would take me to the public library with her and they had this little pen where they had the kids' books in and the Curious Georges and Dr. Seuss's and all of that stuff. But under those books was a box and in that box were comic books. And I knew what that box was. And I pulled them out, and this love affair was born that, to this day, still grips me in a weird kind of way. I think it was the nature of the stories challenged me in a way that the kids' books didn't. It's like the kids' books were clearly for kids. If I had nothing, I would read them. But there was something about, like, uh, I'm going to name folks. I don't know if anyone knows who they are. But there were guys like Jim Starlin and Neil Adams and... Uh, Mike Grell and a bunch of great creators who wrote what I would call early Star Wars or early, um, you know, Star Trek or any of the things that would push the envelope. They would talk about social issues. They would talk about, you know, good versus evil, life and death, all of this stuff. And it wasn't literature in the classical sense of the word, but it was preparing me for all of those things that I would encounter later. So they didn't feel intimidating if someone had me read Shakespeare because these guys had already taken a piece of the things that they knew and put them into Superman, Batman, Green Lantern books. That sort of was a great bridge for me to the more adult fair that I uh, entered to early. But I was just intrigued. I loved the art. I love the stories, and I'm an, I was an only child, even though I have a lot of half-brothers and sisters. I spent a lot of time by myself as a kid. So comic books were sort of like a friend that I could depend on. That was it. Yeah, this doesn't fully relate. I am wondering if my daughter has kind of a similar fascination. My sister, This happened last night, not a joke. My sister sent a bunch of books from her. Her kids are older. My daughter's seven. She reads every night. She just reads, 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 reads. And she's been getting into this box of books. And she said to me last night as we're going up, she said, I read this cool story last night. The woman died because she got bit by a snake. But then the the man died too because he got bit by a snake. And she starts talking. And I'm like, what is she reading? Where did she find? Yes. And it was a kid's adaptation of Anthony and Cleopatra. She, I go, where is this book? I've wow. got to see this book. And it's just, you know, totally for kids. But like, she doesn't, she doesn't want to read Dr. Seuss. She, she is fascinated by what you're talking about, like bigger stories that even if they're told in a simplistic way for kids, clearly had a huge impact on her. Yeah. And, you know, Stephen King uh, walks along the lines of that as well. I remember as a kid when you used to have paperback books on a spinner. Yeah. And I had to reach up. So that tells you how old I was because I'm 6'8 <laughs> now. So I've been like six feet tall since I was probably 13 years old. Yeah. And I remember getting Carrie. I remember the cover of the book. I remember where I was when I bought the book. And I don't know why it grabbed my eye. I don't know why it caught me, but I was just spinning and spinning and spinning and it stopped right there. And I bought Carrie and I remember opening up the book and I saw all of the reviews they used to have them in the, um, 
I don't know if which publisher it was, Penguin or whoever, but I saw all of these reviews. And I was like, wow, this must be really good. All of these people <laughs> like this book. And I didn't know how it worked back then with the press. And not to say that it was, obviously, I'm still a fan. And then he did Salem's Lot. Then he did The Shining. And I was right there just going, basically doing the same thing I was with comic books. I was building a relationship. And, you know, I'm in my 50s now. And I was a teenager then. And I just built this relationship with an author that I came to depend on. The consistency of a guy like a Stephen King. You know, in my mind, when I think about being an author and writing comic books and, and novels as well, it was like, how could I build up a lifestyle that would house that type of discipline to where I could be prolific in that way, too, to where, you know, I'm writing television, but I'm writing comic books, and I'm writing novels, and I'm writing movies, and I'm doing all these things. But that requires a certain type of structure to your life because no one's going to you know, make you write or make you do these things. You have to sort of come up with the intention on your own that this is what I want to do. This is what I need to do. And again, going back to that PA thing and survival, you know, PAs come and go. You know, it's the thing that you can get rid of. There's 10 more standing in line. There's a thing that you have to do to, um, you know, show that you really want to be there and develop the reputation so that people keep hiring you again and again and again. You know, just to be able to think nimbly. Nobody comes along and says, this is what you need to do. You have to figure it out yourself. And I think that that skill set went from being a production assistant to being a professional writer to this day. Yeah. You mentioned Stephen King, and I know you have a deep love of vampire horror novels. What is it about that material or the way that stories are told in that genre that appeals to you so much? The the life and death thing is huge. You know, the life and death thing that didn't exist in children's books unless you were getting into the dark Disney stuff. Um, you know, Walt wasn't afraid to deal with life and death. But typically, there's this thing in horror to where there's a good guy and a bad guy. And the bad guy, the antagonist operates on a place with a lot of intangibles. That's the supernatural stuff. And in order for the protagonist to make it out alive, whichever one does, because obviously some won't, he has to use a unique set of skills that go beyond conventional thinking. Because you never know. You're dealing with a vampire who is immortal and, you know, can turn into a bat in some of the mythos. And what do you do if you're trying not to get your neck sucked or try to, you know, get your wife back? She's been bitten and you want her to come back to being a human. What do you do? There was always something about that and then um, not being able to predict the outcome, you know, being able to go in a room and there could be scary stuff in there and a gun might not help you. Karate might not help you. There's, there's just so much to it that you have to use your mind and your imagination in order to be able to, to make it. That's so interesting. I've never thought about that before, but the unconventional solutions to a high stakes problem mm -hmm. where you have to use your imagination. I think that's, that's awesome. It's kept me going, it's kept me yeah. going a long time. Clearly. I have to talk about one of your early mega successes, the boondocks for which you won a Peabody award. And really that's mixing a few of your loves, right? Adapting a comic strip, 
into a television show. What was the process like for launching that, for getting that that show going? It was already on track. The the strip's creator, uh, Aaron Magruder, had already been working on getting it going and was really looking to work with television writer because he was trying to adapt it for TV. And at the time, right. I'd been working on my wife and kids. And our sensibilities sort of meshed in a way. There was this frustration I had because it was another side of me being a writer working on network television with my wife and kids and Everybody Hates Chris, the boundaries you had to work within. And with the boondocks, that didn't exist in the same way. So I was able to um, find this world where you could virtually say anything seemingly and be creative in a way that network television didn't allow during that period of time. And certainly in even bringing the cultural thing in, I could talk about black people in a way here that I couldn't on network TV, frustrations and politics and all of this other stuff, that it gave a certain amount of freedom that wasn't there in any of the other things that I had done. So, you know, just having the opportunity, and I was doing it, I was working on that show the same time that I was working on the other show. So it was almost like an, uh, an exhaust valve, you know, uh, or air brakes where you just need to let off some pressures. Like I would do this one thing in the morning and then do another thing at night and they were completely different things. But again, I look at all of that stuff as sort of a, um, a boot camp or training ground because school teaches you what school teaches you. But when you're trying to build that bridge to being a professional and wanting to do more mature things, it takes like any craft doing it over and over and over and in different types of ways and different entry points and different tones and different styles. And before you can get to a place where you can say, okay, I'm not intimidated by anything that's coming my way because I've probably seen it before. You know, there's always that the intrigue of something new, but once you've done something enough, you know, the championship games are tonight in the NBA And these guys have been playing basketball for so long that even though it's a different style, it's still a game of basketball. And that's sort of how I look at writing because I've done drama, I've done comedy, I've done animation, you know, a lot of different single camera, multicam, commercials, whatever. And all of that comes from having done so many different things that when I walk in a room, even if I haven't done it before, I'm like, okay, this is connected to something that I've done before. Right. So it doesn't feel completely, you know, foreign to the place where I'm going to be intimidated. Yes. Well, I just finished Winning Time on HBO. You were talking before about having a fascination or or really appreciating life and death situations, high stakes. Well, I guess there is a little bit of death in this. I think you guys did an astounding job of making everyone watching feel how high the stakes are even though again we're talking about about basketball so talk to me a little are you're you're clearly you're a basketball fan i am as well what attracted you to wanting to tell this story obviously a seminal moment for well for the lakers for the city of los angeles and for the nba in general, I'm as a huge NBA fan, I was very interested in the character of David Stern, actually, and sort of beginning to see his ascension through the organization and how he shaped the next from Magic and Larry to Michael and, and how how he viewed building the league. H- how did this show come to be? Obviously, it's based on a book, Showtime. 
what attracted you to it and, and made it a story you wanted to tell? Well, a little bit of the history of how it all came to be before me. Uh, Jim Hecht, who is one of our executive producers, read the book, Jeff Perlman's book, got it to Adam McKay. Adam McKay dug the book. He got it to HBO. HBO said, yes, we'll do a miniseries on this. We need a writer. They reached out to Max Bornstein, who I've been writing with for about a decade, and then he reached out to me. That's sort of how I got involved. Unfortunately, I'm old enough to have seen a lot of bad sports-themed movies, TV shows, um, where if it's not about one particular player, it's usually about the coach or the owner or someone. And the players are sort of relegated to one-dimensional caricatures. That's the good one. That's the bad one. That's the one that's going to get shot. That's the one that's going to jail. And we won the final game or we lost the final game. That was sort of it. This was an opportunity to tell a layered story. It was the opportunity to speak to a period of time I knew. I understood not just the games, but everything that was happening in the world. I remembered the rhythm and the pay, how people spoke, how people looked, the attitudes of people. You know, I was telling my son one day, we were talking about professional wrestling. And, uh, you know, my son was looking at some of the footage I was looking at. And he was like, oh, my God, that's appalling. He was looking through today's sensibilities into the past. Right. And it wasn't that long ago. And I'm trying to explain to him the context of how it's different and blah, blah, blah. And all he could see is what he knew. And I wanted to give sort of kind of create a bridge to be able to speak to a world that I won't say I miss. But I'm certainly fond of in its own unique way. I just watched the George Carlin documentary on HBO. You know, it was another voice of that period of time that I remember so clearly. And comedy sort of doesn't work that way anymore, not en masse. And so the opportunity just to speak to a period of time on a subject that I was deeply connected to, that was the draw for me. Yeah. I have heard that you describe the show as a love letter to a period of time but also to the Lakers and to the game. It, it's fascinating, again, a layered story you described it as. Focus, I mean, well, let me ask you this. Who is the show about? Is it Dr. Buss? It's about the organization because everybody gets some, um, everybody gets love. So you got Dr. Buss. Dr. Buss and Magic are sort of two halves of a whole. And then there's the world that's the extensions of those two worlds. You've got... From Dr. Buss, you've got his family, you've got the management team and the people that he interacts with primarily. And from Magic side, you have his family and the other players and, you know, how they interact with him and the little and the world that they occupy. And the thing, the verb of what they do, they play basketball, the management side owns and operates the team. So that would be the two halves of the whole. But everybody gets enough love that I would say it's about the Laker organization as a whole okay yeah i mean you're th you're the expert <laughs> you deserve to treat yourself so turn your tax refund into a u-fund and give yourself a straight talk wireless extended silver unlimited plan and a brand new samsung a14 on them straight talk unlimited plans start at 25 dollars a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much, you're going to be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. 
Who wouldn't like a few extra bucks in their pocket? I certainly would. Money for a golf round, perhaps? Tickets to a concert or a game? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics. 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not in endorsement discover betmgm the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for non-stop action all winter long take the excitement of football basketball and hockey to the next level with same game parlays exclusive signature bets odds boost promos and much more plus now you can sign in place bets and manage your cash balance under the same betmgm account in dc maryland and virginia With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zinn create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zinn is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zinn is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zinn won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zinn. Find your Zinn online or in a store near you at Zinn.com slash find. That's ZYN.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Without knowing the story, and I had not read the book, but I sort of understood the showtime that it was sort of made in Dr. Buss's image. But I think adding in or explaining the stakes of what he was going through and the decisions that he made and the choices from 
everyone else essentially in the organization to say, this is only going to work if we build it in his image in a way in terms of not just the style of play, though it was, uh, but also everything else that created it an event that is now arguably the biggest a basketball game in Los Angeles for the Lakers is arguably the biggest sporting event for a regular season game that you could go to. Maybe the Knicks at Madison Square Garden or something like that. But, no, but in a particular time, but yeah. Yeah, but I think even, you know, even so today, I mean, having the stars there, having, well, I mean, I guess LeBron is there now, but you know, it becomes an event going to a game. It's not just a game. I agree. I mean, I think that, you know, for the Lakers, whether they're good or bad, you know, whether they're having a good or bad season, they've built sort of an entertainment infrastructure that it becomes an event. Every game becomes an event. It's sold out regardless if they're playing the worst team in the league or whatever. I'd say a team like the Yankees, you know, sort of have that mystique to them to whether they're good or bad. You show up and there's this aura of what they are that um, sort of accompanies the experience of watching them play. Maybe the Knicks have it. You know, I think the Dallas Cowboys have it. Dallas Cowboys, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's maybe the Patriots. Those teams that are sort of have sort of broken out of the idea of sports and into the zeitgeist of pop culture, to me, are the ones that have an extra thing happening. Yeah. Um, how important was it for you to get – the characterizations right about the people you were covering. I mean, obviously there's been a lot of discussion about some of the portrayals. I would say most notably Jerry West also Kareem a little bit early on in the, in the thing, how important was it for you and how accurate do you think that you all ended up being portraying these, these legends in the sport? This is what I'll say. We did a lot of research with what we had, read a lot of books, a lot of articles, never about disparaging anyone. We come from a place of fandom and appreciation. You know, that said, I'm also very empathetic with the idea that if someone was telling the story of Rodney Barnes and certainly of a certain period, and they pick certain things and they said, I'm going to tell, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to tell that story. And I don't get an opportunity to sort of vet that or add all of the various things that were going on in my life and my mind at the time to sort of supported that, I would feel a way too. You know, so it, it's more of um it's more of a place of understanding. Uh, again, never work to disparage them, put a lot of work and effort into the research that we did. And we try to take a, a year's worth of a basketball season, condense it to ten hours. Yeah. You know it's very difficult. Yeah, you're not going to get like a documentary style thing where things are told by facts only. You have to dramatize a certain thing in order to make it work. And we try to the best of our ability to do that in a way that is um, balanced. Right. And so, you know, again, empathetic to those guys. Right. I certainly hear and believe that there's a ton of love shown for everyone involved. I guess I'm going to ask this in a slightly different way. Is it more important as a writer on this series to tell the best story that you can or to get it right? Right is such a subjective thing. 
you know, what is right? I think you try to tell the best story that you can, for sure. But you also try to tell a story that is layered and nuanced and has depth and is entertaining. The, The other stuff that goes into the gumbo of storytelling, it's a lot of different things. Of course, being fair and and all of those things too, but we're making entertainment more so than just spouting facts. Right. And again, uh, right is relative. Right. Uh, I I listened to John Ireland, who is the now the voice of the Lakers. He and Mason are probably my two favorite LA sports people to listen to. If I'm driving around picking up kids from school in the afternoon, and he loves it. I've heard him rave about it, and he's a current employee, obviously, of the Lakers. He said, and and it was in the middle of a huge compliment, he said, oh, and by the way, leading up to Boston, the Lakers actually won the game before. But we chose in in the story that it would be better, I assume, in terms of stakes, that they were as down and out as possible before they they end up beating Boston. Is that the thinking? That's kind of what I'm talking about. Yeah, I I would say it's related to that sort of thinking. I think when you're trying to tell a story and you're trying to to manipulate emotions, you could tell a story about a boxer. Or if you're saying you're doing a thriller in Manila, you're making a movie about it. Ali won 13 or 15 rounds probably in that fight. Would it be slightly better if you gave, if you showed Frazier's punches landing, you know, in a little bit more you know, even way so that by the time you get to the end, that yes, Ali won, but do you want to watch a fight? That's unusual because Thriller in Manila was a great fight. But right. do you just want to see this fight where you have Ali dominating if you're making a movie of it? Or do you want to make it seem as though there's more danger present for Ali in that fight? A hundred percent. In those areas where we may have said, okay, the score was a little bit different or whatever, you're trying to emphasize the next moment that you're coming to that ultimately is going to drive us to the ultimate truth. The Lakers won the title and et cetera, et cetera. But the journey to getting there for the person that wasn't alive in 1979 and doesn't know the history and doesn't know any of those things that's going on this this ride, you want to make it as pleasurable for them as you can. Yeah. Well, and it it certainly was that compelling for well for sports fans and non sports fans alike. It's just a, a great story. I just want to ask you because obviously we employed this in a slightly different way on the office. The decision to have direct addresses to the camera, where the characters are sharing their thoughts. What was the idea behind that, or why why was that decision made? You know, it's another way of. It's another way of getting more information out from either the scene or more exposition with the character. And it's just something that Adam McKay does incredibly well in some of his stuff that we utilize in our show to do the same thing. We've got a massive cast. You've got so many characters and so much narrative real estate that you're trying to occupy with all of these characters. That anytime you get the opportunity to add a little bit more so that, you know, to enrich the experience of a scene or a moment. That's sort of what's behind it. Yeah. I felt like, especially with the scenes with John C. Riley and Dr. Buss, they really helped get inside the head of that character in moments that I felt were both pleasurable and, and important historically. Was he that cash poor? Is that true? 
There were financial issues. There were financial issues. Yeah, okay. there, there were financial issues. Yes, okay. there were financial issues. It's fascinating to me. Well, you had a huge cast. You were a part of it. Maurice, yes. head of uh, Laker Security. Laker Security, thank you. Yes. Brilliant performance, by the way. Uh, how was that <sighs> like you. for you being on camera with all the guys? Well, A, it was overwhelming. Uh, it was not something that I requested. <laughs> The way it started, uh, we were working on the show in New York when I was working on Wu-Tang and uh, Max was working on a, a movie worth in New York. We would get together on the weekends, um, some other folks, and start working on the show. And um, I saw my picture up on the wall with the other actors. And I'm like, why is my picture on the wall? And, oh, you, you'll see. You'll see. <laughs> so when we got to L.A., I see this character, Maurice. Oh, you're going to be Maurice. I'm who the hell is Maurice? I, I know Cooper and Worthy knows. Who, who the hell is Maurice? He says, oh, he's security. He's going to do one episode and blah, blah, blah. Then I did another episode. And it, it started to become this thing to where when we had to cut a scene, but we still needed the, the information, we just stick Maurice in. And, you know, <laughs> in that scene, we would compensate for the thing that we couldn't do anymore. That scalpers one in episode five was really because we didn't have time for uh, a bunch of extras and a scalper and for Claire to go outside and talk to the scalper and get her. So we had her talking to me about give these tickets to them when you go outside. You know, every scene that I was in, I apologize to the actor I was working with because he deserved better. <laughs> the first scene was with Adrian Brody. who's an Oscar winner, you know? And so it was like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was an honor. It was intimidating, but it was fun. That's awesome. And he, by the way, Adrian Brody is Pat Riley is uh, he's great. I agree. And I've always been personally fascinated with Riley and his story and LA to New York to Miami. And so interesting. What surprised you most about the reaction to the show? I think the players, some of the, the real life folks who judged it the way that they did, some of whom didn't watch it first. That was a surprise. You know, other than that, everything else sort of kind of was what I expected it to be. Because I knew what we had. I knew we put a lot of work into it. But yeah, I would say the reaction was the only thing that was a surprise. Yeah. I was thinking about, and by the way, my math is not great, but I was thinking about the movie Nixon, right? I was thinking about the movie Nixon with Anthony Hopkins. And I was thinking about, you know, recreating that time period. And I started thinking, well, but so much time had passed between Nixon and that movie. And then I started thinking, I started doing the math in my head. I mean, it's been 43 years. It doesn't seem like it, but it's been 43 years since that season of basketball happened, which is probably longer than the Nixon between the Nixon movie. It, it's so interesting to me that it's still so present. And maybe it's because some of those guys are still so such big personalities today. There's that, but the thing that always gets me when we talk about numbers and time, I think because it was the turn of the century, when you get to the nine, the 70s to 2000, for some reason, because it's 2022, that it doesn't seem as long as it did if you were saying 1926, <laughs> right. to, you know, whatever. It's right. like there's something about the math that makes it feel like it wasn't that long ago, but it really was. Right. And like you said, 
I think the state of media keeps the guys present because they work on the Laker after show. You still see Norm Nixon. Right. You still see Magic everywhere, uh, Kareem. You know, it's like you see them in a way that in the 70s, you know, retired guys probably you wouldn't see in the same way because you didn't have television and media the way right. and social media. They, have, they still have a voice. You know, that usually wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, congratulations on everything. You have a number of really interesting projects going back to some horror graphic novel stuff. Tales from the Crip with Snoop Dogg. Yes. I, that sounds so exciting to me. Now, have you started working on that? Is that, is that going? Yeah, I'm, I'm writing the book uh, now, uh, along with a bunch of other ones, uh, Blackula and my regular book, Philadelphia, and a lot of vampires, a lot of horror. A lot of stuff that's um, a lot of fun. It takes me back to my childhood. A labor of love more so than just labor. But Snoop Dogg is fantastic. We talk all the time. It's great. Oh, that's awesome. And I I want to say, I think, what is so cool about what you have done and are doing, that you're bringing your own cultural experiences to these types of stories that, that hasn't been done before and i find that so bold and courageous and well awesome really so thank you i really appreciate that good luck with all of that also i'm a big golfer golf fan myself you're working on the tiger woods scripted miniseries yes good old tiger yeah finish the script and finish the bible and let's see what happens well, congratulations on all of it and on winning time. Congratulations on that. I can't wait to see uh, season two, right? It has, this is truth. It has been ordered. It's we're going. I left our writer's room to come talk to you. There you I go. I went from one zoom to the next zoom. So there I, you go. I don't know if I would have, but I appreciate you doing it. Thank you so much, Rodney. I appreciate your time. Congratulations and good luck. Thank you. Look forward to doing it again. Rodney, it was so great to talk to you and to get to know you a little bit. Thank you for stopping by. I cannot wait for your Snoop Dogg collaboration coming up very, very soon. I know it is going to be incredible. And to those of you out there listening, thank you for tuning in. Rodney said it best. What we do is a labor of love. And you know, not, not to be too cheesy, but we get to do it because of you. So thanks. I appreciate you listening. And I'll be back next week with another exciting interview. And hey, I think that you're going to like it. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our producers are Diego Tapia, Liz Hayes, Emily Carr, and Hannah Harris. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend, Creed Bratton, and the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund 
to give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plans starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much. You'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024, while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. CNN. 